great-grandpas and all the spiritual fathers. Hallelujah. We need more fathers. Amen. We are looking at the way of truth. And this morning, we're going to look at forgiveness in particular. I usually preach on forgiveness. I I try and do it on purpose three or four times a year, but I know I haven't done it lately. So uh, when I mentioned last week about uh, realizing that I was in trouble because the Bible says, as you forgive others, that's how your heavenly father will forgive you. So we're going to touch on that this morning. But I want to do it in the basis of the fact that we are living in a day when truth doesn't really matter anymore. And at least God's truth, biblical truth, absolute truth. You know, he's the one who has established truth. And then we're the ones who are veering away from it. And so that's why we need his word as our plumb line. And. You know, we can get excited about walking with God and saying, oh, I'm going to follow his word. But it's not easy following God's word. It's not easy doing what his word tells us to do. And to be honest with you, we can't do it in our own strength. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to do that. And um, one of the things that we find out is that. We can't live our own life when we come to Christ and then walk according to his word. It's not our life anymore. And so we have to remember that. And we have to remember that God's word, his ways, he calls us to a higher standard. When we were looking at this at the very beginning of this series, we talked about that. Jesus said, you have heard it said, but I say unto you, because he was getting to the heart of things. So before we read Luke, I just want to remind you of John chapter 12. We looked at this not too long ago. Uh, Starting in verse 23, and it says, And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, everybody say, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. In other words, if you're going to live your life according to what you think, according to your plans, according to, you know, Your ways, you're going to lose it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. In other words, my father-in-law used to preach this all the time. Before we come to salvation, we have to know we need him. So he makes us nothing so that we can become something. But then once we become something in him, then he has to knock us back down to where we're nothing again so he can use us. Amen. But see, what we do is we in humility, we come to him and then we become something in him. And then we think that we can conquer the world on our own. And then we turn from him. And so anyways, that's what he's talking about here. Whoever loves his life will lose it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And that brings us to Luke 9. And we've read a different version of this. I think it was that of Matthew. Um, but in Luke 9, verses 23 to 26, it says this. And he said to all, 
If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. If I say daily, <laughs> I would even change it to every moment, you know, every waking moment you have and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. And uh, Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I bring this up because if we're going to walk in God's truth, if we're going to walk in God's ways, it's not about us anymore. We don't have a right to say to the potter, this is what I want to be. This is how I'm going to be. We don't have that right. We're his now. Notice it says this. I have been crucified with Christ. And so he's talking to believers. It is no longer I who live. But Christ who lives in me. Hmm. So we don't have a right to live our lives any way we want because we've been bought with a price. Second Corinthians chapter five, verses 14 and 15 says, and, and really this is our main text. Second Corinthians five, 14 to 15. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. Isn't that awesome? You see, before Christ, it was all about us. And then after Christ, it's not about us. I mean, it still is, but it just takes a while to get it to be about him. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, who for their sake died and was raised. And it says in here at the very beginning of verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. And when Christ's love begins to work in us and changes us, and his love causes us to live differently, to walk in God's ways according to his truth. The NIV uses the word for controls us to compels us. Because, um, and, and this compelling, this controlling Here's the picture of this. It means that we are being constrained. That we are, our boundaries are shrinking. That surround our lives. And um, we're not able to go in all kind of different directions. The picture is of being in a hallway. And as you're walking down that hallway, you have the walls on each side. But as you start walking down that hallway it starts getting, the walls become closer and closer. They become narrower and narrower. But as you keep going in that direction, it's almost like a funnel. You keep going in that direction, and then you come to the place where 
you don't have as much freedom to move around and maneuver because the love of Christ is constraining you. It, it's controlling us. It's, it's marking those boundaries. It's saying, okay, you can't do this anymore. When you were back here in the wall and in your walk and you were young in the Lord, you could get away with that. But now as you're growing in Christ, He's constraining you. He's controlling us. He's leading us into a way that is much better. And so what we used to be able to get away with, we can't get away with anymore. What we used to be able to watch, we can't watch anymore. What we used to be able to say, we can't say anymore. What we used to do, we can't do anymore because He's controlling us. And it's not an evil thing that He's controlling us. This is for our good, for our best. And that's what He's talking about because He's talking about the love of Christ does this for us. It's limiting our movement and our ability. Our choices, our options are limited. You know, when your kids come to you and say, well, so-and-so's mom lets them do it. And then you have to say to them, well, we love you. And so we're not going to let you do it. And they don't understand that because they don't know that it's love. They think we're being hateful to them because we're not letting them do something that somebody else's parent lets them do. But we know what the end is, end result is going to be, and it's not good. They don't know that, but we do. And so we're teaching them. We're, we're constraining them. But we do that out of a heart of love. And that's what God does with us. For the, the love of Christ controls us. We begin to see things differently. We see life differently. We see circumstances differently. We see people differently. How many of y'all need a new view of people? You need to have the mind of Christ for people. And, but when the love of Christ is controlling us, it's constraining us, it's compelling us, we see differently. And we see it and we understand through the love of Christ. We're, we become narrow in how we live. And I know there's some people that don't like that, but that's good for us. It's good for us to be narrow, to be uh, narrow in how we live according to our emotions. Emotions are great. God intends for us to have emotions and to be excited, to be sad and all of that. But he doesn't expect them and desire them to control us and manipulate us and lead us. He wants the word of God to be able to do that for our lives. But enjoy our emotions. If you walk through life and you're always happy, then you're not living in reality. Because what happens when people die? Okay, yeah, they may be going to heaven and, and you're happy for them. But you know what? You're also sad because now there's a relationship there that is different. Because you've had emotions involved with that person. It's good. But we just can't live there. This reminds me of Matthew 7, 
13 and 14, Jesus said this. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. In other words, and Paul speaks of this, and, and I put it in her present, that we have to press into God. It doesn't come natural for us. The enemy is going to oppose us coming to God and, and trying to find the life that God has for us. So we have to press in. It's narrow. It's hard. But it's worth it. Now, here's the crazy thing is, I've seen this before, and, and you know, you, you, you've read it, we've all read it. But do you know, this is in response to what Jesus said in verse 12. In verse 12 is the golden rule. Listen. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And then let's read it together. Verse 13 now. Enter the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And so when we come to Christ, His love compels us. It constrains us. It controls us. It limits us in how we respond with one another. We don't get to fly off the handle because we think we have a right. I mean, we're seeing that in, the, in our society now. You know, if you don't drive just perfectly, you could get killed. The rage that is out there, the anger that is out there, and we've lost the ability. Somebody forgot to teach them how to control that. How to work through that. How to work through the disappointments of life. How to work through the struggles of life. It's not easy. But we have to be taught that. Because it's not natural to it. But when we see that the love of Christ constrains us to do that. It's a beautiful thing. And... God wants us to come to the place where our life isn't ours anymore. And we begin to see others and see life through His eyes. And we realize it's about Him. It's about loving people like He has loved us. If you'll turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, please. It's not being wishy-washy about life and people, but being intentional to live more and more like Christ with the help of the Holy Spirit. Paul speaks of this in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> and we're going to start in verse 11. Ephesians 4.11. And he gave apostles, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Okay? So there's a reason behind this. He wants us to grow up, He wants us to become mature. 
And this is what it looks like to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Isn't that awesome? So what God is working in us, it's so that we can become more and more like Christ. But the things that we go through and the struggles that we face, they can make us bitter or they can make us better. It's our choice. God wants us to become better from them. But there's that fullness of Christ that he's wanting in us. And then this is the reason why. Verse 14. Thank you. So that we are no longer, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every kind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, if I say rather, speaking the truth in love, we grow, we are to grow up in every way into him, speaking of Christ. So we're to become more and more like him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Isn't that awesome? If you don't maybe understand what God is doing in your life right now, I'm telling you, one of the things he's doing is to build you up to become more like Christ and to love as Christ has loved. And so the love of Christ constrains us, compels us, controls us, and we become more and more like him. Again, this path is not easy, but it's the path that God has chosen for all those who want to follow Christ, to become more and more like Christ. The path for Jesus wasn't easy. It's not going to be easy for us. And if we follow after him, then we choose to crucify our, our lives. How do we do that? We put into practice what we find from the scriptures. If you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, please. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 14. And this is what I mentioned last week. Matthew 6, 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, here's what's interesting to me. If you read this, if you will just look up, he's saying this right after he taught the disciples how to pray. The disciples came to Jesus, asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And this is what he says. Verse 9. This is the Lord's Prayer. We know. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. And I'm going to be honest with you. I've studied this out. I've heard other teachings on this. I have never, ever seen this. Verse 12. And forgive us our debts. As we also. 
don't know where I've been. I mean, I knew verses 14 and 15, but. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Wow. That's in the Lord's prayer. And then he closes and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We are to live a life of forgiveness, of forgiving others. We have to understand we are called to this. This is not an option for us. Jesus gives in the Lord's Prayer, says that, but then he gives us verses 13 and 14. As you forgive others, that's how your Heavenly Father is going to forgive you. And as I mentioned, I've mentioned before, but this is our theme this morning. As we forgive, forgive others, that's how God forgives us. And so that means that I, when I read this, I knew that I was in trouble. Because I knew that I needed to forgive my father, my earthly father. And I have come to realize that this is probably the place that we all begin. Is learning to forgive our earthly fathers. And I believe this because I'm speaking from my own experience, but I'm also speaking from what I've observed in life and as a pastor for almost 31 years. And if you haven't figured this out, men that men and therefore fathers aren't the brightest bulbs in the package. We think we are at times, but we're not. We have issues. And most men that I know haven't ever dealt with their issues either. And when it comes to parenting and fatherhood, you know, we struggle. And I endeavor to become the best husband, the best father, the best pastor, the best man I could be. But it's hard. And I, I just want to encourage you men today. You need a wife to help you. Because the Bible says that when he created Adam, everything was great, but then he thought to himself, oh, wait a minute. He needs help. And so I just want to encourage you. We need help. And so ladies, I also want to encourage you. Give us the help. Don't try and get us to figure it out on our own. We're already lost. Just tell us. You know, women are nurturers. It's natural to them. Men, we're not nurturers. We're going to go out. We're going to work hard. We're going to fix things. We're going to provide. We're not into the other stuff that you guys are in. We need your help in that. But you need our help as well. So it's a match made in heaven, right? But, you know, fathers, we, we try to be the fixers. We try to be the muscle people. And we fail our children. And so this is where I believe that the greatest thing that we can do is for our children is apologize and then ask them to forgive us as fathers. I, I know that 
you know, there's so many times that I failed my kids and for a certain amount of years, I, I thought that my main responsibility in life was to keep apologizing to my kids. I didn't know if I was ever going to break through on that. And then it dawned on me after I got through it all or, or as we, towards the end of getting through it and, you know, that I realized that God was using my weakness, using my failures as a way to teach my children how to forgive. Because I would go to them when I failed them. I would go to them and I would explain to them what dad did that was wrong. And then I would apologize and I would ask for their forgiveness. I was teaching them how to receive forgiveness and then how to extend forgiveness. And it's important that we teach this. We need to teach them that if we're going to be in relationship, then we need to learn how to work things out. We need to learn how to talk. And part of that is we have to learn to forgive one another. If you are in any kind of relationship relationship with somebody, if you're not practicing forgiveness, you're just like casual. You're not serious about that relationship. You know, maybe you're just seeing each other every once a year or something like that. That's not a relationship. But when we're engaged with one another, we're going to fail one another. It's going to happen. And so we need to learn to be able to forgive and and. Uh, ask for forgiveness if we're the ones who have done it wrong, but also extend forgiveness because our Heavenly Father has forgiven us. And the crazy thing about that is, is we don't even have to wait for somebody else to ask for our forgiveness for us to extend our forgiveness to them. We can forgive them anyways, whether they ask for it or not. Because we know that our Heavenly Father has forgiven us. And He says, as I have forgiven you, you go and forgive others. Well, can I tell you that He's forgiven me completely? (laughs) That means I have to forgive completely. And When I was working through it, the first person I knew I had to forgive was my dad. And here's the reason why. Because my dad wasn't the greatest dad. Do you know one who is? And, you know, Diana knows the story. I hated my dad for what he did and what he didn't do. I was so angry with him. I mean, I could spit nails at him. Now, I looked happy. But I was full of rage and hate and anger. And so when I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, okay, as God has forgiven me, i got to forgive others. And as I forgive others, that's how he's going to forgive me. And no wonder I was in trouble. No wonder I had to take a step back and say, oh, you know. And we have to come to the place where we choose to forgive because we want to come into the fullness of all that God has for us. We want to come into that place of full growth, full maturity that God has for each and every one of us. And that means that we have to forgive. For me, you know what I came to the conclusion? 
I didn't want to leave one ounce, one drop of forgiveness for my life on the table. I wanted to make sure I used it all up. And so however God had forgiven me, that's how I'm going to forgive others. Including my dad. And so I did that. I forgave my dad. And then a little while after that, God spoke to me. He said, now write your dad a letter and send it to him. It's like, but God, I forgave him. But I did. I wrote him a letter and asked him to forgive me. For my anger, for my hatred, for my rage. Forgiving my dad and, and when we forgive others, it's not about excusing what they did. It's not about minimizing what they did. It's not saying that what they did was okay. No, it, it's not. But it's realizing that God has a higher calling for our lives. And that is to be like Christ. To love like He does. So the constraints, the controlling, the narrowing of my life came to where you have to forgive. That's what God has called us to. You know, when you're in that thing and, and both of those walls are right next to you and you can't turn around and say, no, I'm not going to forgive. You're stuck. And the wisest thing to do is to do what God's Word says. We have to be willing to Walk according to God's ways. It's coming to face the truth. Coming face to face with this truth. That God wants to so much forgive me. Therefore, I choose to forgive as He has forgiven me. To become to, or to begin to be able to become all that He has called me to be. Just as the love of God constrained Christ, controlled Him, now it needs to control me. And we need to learn to forgive others. I needed to learn how to forgive my dad. And I'm, I'm sure most people in here have to. But you know what? It also comes down to this, that you eventually have to learn how to forgive ourselves as well. We're probably the hardest critics and we're the ones who are the hardest on ourselves. And we can forgive others, but we can't forgive ourselves. But I want you to know that God can. Life is not easy and it's not without pain and suffering at the hands of dads, moms, uncles, aunts, brothers, sisters, strangers, co-workers, and the list goes on and we can just summarize it by calling them people. Anytime you're involved with people, you're going to have to forgive. Amen? If you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 18, please. Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew earlier, we 
we read Jesus giving us the Lord's Prayer and, and how we forgive others. He brings this up again when Peter comes to him and he says this in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Peter has a question for him. Matthew 18, 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? <laughs> I know we've all asked that question. <laughs> if you haven't, you're not human. As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Peter, I think, was thinking that he was being very generous when he said this. Do I forgive seven times? Like, you know, hey, I'm on top of this, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, let's go 70 times seven. And then I believe Jesus explains the Lord's Prayer even more as he continues. Starting in verse 23, Matthew 18, 23. Because Jesus had said that 70 times 7, and then he said this, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him. If I say seizing him. He began to choke him. If I say choke him. Saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, everybody say so also. So also, my heavenly father will do, every, do to every one of you if, I say if, you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You see, that's a higher standard. Not just forgiveness, but forgiveness from the heart. This is the way of truth that God is looking for. For those who will follow Him 
that we would take up our cross and deny ourselves. God so desires to forgive us and to get the maximum benefits from receiving Christ's forgiveness for ourselves. And so I want to encourage you this morning to start releasing that forgiveness to others. And if celebrating Father's Day is difficult for you, if it's hard to you because of your earthly father or your sperm donor that you don't know or whatever your circumstances was concerning your birth, celebrate it by being forgiven by your heavenly father and rejoice in the immeasurable, unconditional love that our heavenly father has for us. Because he is our father. In Psalm 68, it says this in verse 4. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the desert. His name is the Lord. Exalt before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God. In his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. And then also in Psalm 146, 9. The Lord watches over the sojourner. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked, he brings to ruin. And so I want to encourage you that if you don't know your father, If, you know, sometimes it's amazing to me in life. People that have fathers wish they didn't have them and those that don't have fathers wish they did. That's how messed up we are. But regardless, I just want to encourage you and, and challenge you that you have a heavenly father who loves you. He loves you unconditionally. He has mercies waiting for us. He has grace waiting for us. Celebrate that today. Celebrate. And if you have to do it by forgiving your earthly father, do it. Be the best thing that ever happened to you. So no matter what our circumstances are in this life, he is our father. And I hope you can celebrate that this morning. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this day. And the love that you have for us. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for. The love that we know. From our heavenly father. And Lord as we celebrate Father's Day. It may be difficult for so many. But Lord may we. Be willing to forgive. Be willing to be controlled by the love of Christ. And forgive. Forgive our fathers in the natural if we need to. But Lord, also help us to forgive all that we need to. All those that we need to. And Lord, help us to turn our eyes towards you. Knowing that you are our heavenly father. And that you are indeed a father to the fatherless. And we give you all the praise and all the glory for it. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.